Hey, thank you. Um, yeah, as Matt just said, my name is Jemima. For those of you that don't know me, I am currently doing the One Thing Year with Revelation, which is like the intern year that we run. And I get to talk about Ruth 2 today, which is fun. Um, so Ruth is a narrative book, so it's telling a story. And so far, we've had two installments of our Ruth series. And so far, what we've seen is Naomi leaving the land of Bethlehem with her family because she saw some good food in Moab um, and getting there and losing everything and just becoming completely empty and alone. And then last week, we saw how she um, saw that there was some food um, and some good provision of food in Bethlehem. And so she decided to return and Ruth and Orpah went to come with her and, and Orpah actually ended up returning back and staying in Moab, whereas Ruth pledged herself to Naomi and the two of them arrived back in Bethlehem together. Just as Matt said, we finished on this verse that said that they arrived back just as the barley harvest was beginning, which is a little bit of a hint about what we're going to see in this chapter. So I'm going to pick up just where we left off last week, at right at the beginning of the two, and I have written it down wrong, so I'm actually going to read from up here. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened <laughs> Um, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Ruth here is this young-ish widow in a foreign land. She doesn't know anybody. She doesn't really know the area very well. Um, she doesn't have any prospect in this new land. And her and Naomi don't even have any food. So Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go and find us some food. And off she goes and does that. But doing that involved Ruth having to go alone into a field of strangers, which potentially was actually a bit of a dangerous thing for her to do. As we found out at the beginning of the book, Ruth was set in the time of the judges. And if you've ever read Judges, you will know that women weren't always particularly safe. There are instances of harm coming to them. Um, so Ruth, setting out alone to go into a field where men were working as a foreigner um, with no um, like assurance that she will be safe, was, was actually yeah, potentially a dangerous thing for her to have done. And I wonder what she was thinking and feeling as she's going into this field. Like, she's pledged herself to Naomi. Was she wondering, was that actually a good idea? Have I made a mistake? Am I going to be okay here? Should I have gone back with Orpah? And yet, we get this really fun verse that says that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, this is a fun verse because this is not an accident. The author is making a big deal of the fact that she happened to come here. But we know that that is not how God works. So we, as, as getting a narrator to tell us what's going on, get to enjoy and see the fact that God is starting to move here. The author is telling us that 
that something is happening in the back background and God is getting involved. Because God does not work in coincidences. God's not watching Ruth, wondering which field she's going to end up in and hoping it's one where they're nice to her. He is directing her steps to the very field he wants her to be in. But Ruth would not have been aware of any of that. (laughs) Ruth, to all that she is aware, is just walking into a field that she has chosen. There was no pillar of cloud like in Numbers leading her. There was no loud voice from heaven saying, go over here. She just picked a field and walked into it. And how often are we as unaware as Ruth of how God is leading us? I don't know if there's any students who don't know how or why you've ended up at the university that you're in. I don't know if anyone's got a job that they took just because it was a job and they're not loving it and they're wondering why they're there. Or if anybody like Ruth has made a decision that seemed like a good one at the time and now they're wondering if they've made a mistake. But God does not need to show up with tongues of fire to be directing you to the very place he has always planned for you to be. He is more active in your big movements and in your tiny movements than you could possibly be aware of. He is involved in directing you to your next life stage. He is involved in directing you to the co-op down the road. He loves to be involved in your life. The God that we see in the book of Ruth is not a passive God who's standing back and watching what's going to happen. God is getting involved. And just like Ruth, it might be that he is bringing you or has brought you to the very place where you're going to get to experience his goodness and blessing the most. So how is God providing for Ruth by bringing her into Boaz's field? To understand this, is actually helpful to understand a little bit about Israel's history and, as Duncan mentioned, the law, obviously. Um, So Israel have always been God's chosen set-apart people. But there was a time when everybody in the nation of Israel were all enslaved in Egypt. So God had to rescue them, he brought them out, he made them a people in a desert, and then he made a covenant with them. And a covenant is like a promise of relationship. Um, So sometimes nations would make covenants with each other, sometimes individuals would make covenants with each other, sometimes they were business things, and sometimes, oh, like some types of covenants are marriage. So when you get married to somebody, when you pledge yourself to them, you are actually making a covenant with them. And the covenant that God made in the desert after bringing Israel out of Egypt with Moses and Israel was just like a marriage covenant. God was committing himself to them as a husband, as a provider, as someone who is, like, belongs to them and they belong to him. But the problem was, or one of the problems, was that Israel didn't really know God very well at this point. They didn't have the whole Bible to read about his character. They hadn't had much experience with him. They'd been slaves for a long time in a land that was not their own. They don't know this God. So what he does is he gives them a law, just like we all do when we want to introduce ourselves to someone new. And I don't know if, like the psalm that Duncan read earlier, where it talks about meditating on the law of the Lord or rejoicing in the law of the Lord, if you've ever read those and thought, 
what? <laughs> like, I get rejoicing in God, or I get meditating in God, but why am I rejoicing in his law? And why am I meditating in his law? Not once have I ever pulled out a section of like the UK law and spent an evening reading over it with a cup of tea, because I know how to party, and, and lost the evening as I rejoiced in the law that I read. It's, it's not something that I fancy. Maybe that's what law students are doing. In my head it is, but it's not something I can relate to. <laughs> but Israel's law was unlike any law that you have ever come across. In the UK, there is a law about theft, and it says, and I hope you all know this, that you are not allowed to go onto somebody else's land and pick plants or crops that they have planted and grown there and watered. You can't wander into a farmer's field and pick the crops. You can't go into your neighbor's garden and pick their flowers. That is stealing. I hope you know that. But Israel's law, weirdly, almost says the complete opposite. Um, it says in the book of Leviticus, I think it was green, um, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So what God is saying here is that farmers in Israel were not allowed to harvest all of the crops in their own fields. They were to plant the whole field and water the whole field. But when it came time to harvest, they always had to leave a border untouched. And what's more than that, as they were harvesting the bit they were allowed to pick, if they dropped any, as you would, they were not allowed to pick that up. They had to leave that on the ground so that the poor and the traveler could come and pick it up. People who felt tired and weary, who maybe didn't have other food, could come into your field and take your grains and, and eat and be fed. It's a bit of a weird idea to us. It's like if we, every time we got paid, had to leave some of our money just outside our front door for anybody who feels like they need it to come and take. For the people of Israel didn't get to choose who came into their fields. It was just anyone who felt like they had need. So Israel's law is real different to our laws. And the reason for that is because there was a really specific purpose for the laws. God gave Israel the law in order to reveal to them his character. And not just to reveal his character to them, but to teach them how they could be like him. Hence the Psalms about rejoicing in the law of the Lord. Because for Israel, the law was the revealed God. This was how they knew who he was. Um, and so obviously they're going to rejoice in that. And we get to, because we get to see him revealed there too. Um, and so this specific law that tells us, well, not us, tells Israel not to harvest to the edge of their field shows them and shows us a God who wants to provide for the poor and the tired, who goes out of his way to provide for the poor and the weary and the tired. And if anyone here is feeling like that is you, this is a God 
who cares about you. <laughs> this is a God who cares for people who are feeling empty. This is a God who cares for people who are feeling worn out. This is a God who cares for people who are feeling lost. He shows us he cares right at the beginning of the Bible as he reveals who he is to his people. He cares for you. And I really like to think about how as God was setting up this provision for Ruth and Naomi, um, no, as God was giving this law to Moses, he was setting up specific provision for Ruth and Naomi before either of them had even been born. He was planning to provide for them. He was planning exactly how he would provide for them before they even existed. And, and he was planning that that provision would come through his people because he loves to provide, he loves to show who he is through his people. We saw last week how Naomi got an experience of who God is through Ruth um, and that's a really common theme in the Bible. God loves to reveal himself through people, he loves to use us. Um, and that's us. We are his people. And isn't it exciting that we get to be part of showing our God to the people around us? And Boaz was doing this with stunning obedience. He was somebody who really seemed to know the God of the covenant, the God who had pledged himself to Israel the way he acted to his workers and to Ruth, and actually to everyone throughout the book of Ruth, is so kind and really shows that he not only knows the law of Israel, but he knows the lawgiver of Israel. And so Ruth, 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 Ruth was brought to the field of the man who maybe would be able to bless her the most, who maybe would be able to give her the best idea of what he is like, and Ruth's first encounter with the God of Israel, and Ruth's first encounter with the law of Israel, really comes to her through the way that Boaz welcomes her and blesses her. It says in verse 14 that at the time Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Look how kind Boaz is to Ruth. Look how tenderly he treats her. Look how he doesn't just give her some food at lunchtime and send her away again. He welcomes her in. She becomes a foreigner seated at the table. She becomes an outsider welcomed right into the midst of them. God here, no, Boaz, Boaz and God. Boaz here is showing Ruth the same kindness that God shows Israel as he led them out and committed himself to them and made covenant with them and invited them in. Boaz here is allowing Ruth to encounter the kindness of God embodied in his own kindness. And 
this is why community is so important. This is why we do talk so much about being a family following Jesus together. It's because through these little acts of normal everyday kindness, like look, Boaz wasn't doing anything particularly spectacular. He probably wasn't making the headlines in Israel about how wonderful he was being. He was just being kind in his own corner of the field. But these small acts of kindness, run of the mill every day, can help us to lead people deeper into the heart and character of Jesus by being hospitable to people, by being kind to people, by welcoming people in, we get to, we get to lead people to our king. <laughs> and so I just want to encourage you, like, how might you be able to be more intentional about being community in these next few weeks? How might you be able to invest more in the church? Who might you be able to bless individually? Um, and how might you be able to make space in your week for somebody? Because it might be that you are the person who God wants to use to teach someone else what he is like. And if there is anyone new here, it's been said before a couple of times, I'm saying it again, you are welcome here. Do fill out a connect form, do come along to home group. We would love for you to be part of who we are. So we see here Boaz giving Ruth abundant kindness um, as he shows her the God that he, that he serves. But also look how Boaz uses the law to give Ruth extravagant gifts and extravagant provision. Did you notice how he told the workers to pull bits of barley out from the sheaves they're working in and drop them on the floor so that Ruth would have more to pick up? This is so different from the Pharisees that we see Jesus interacting with in the New Testament, where they've built up so many rules that it makes it almost impossible for them to love people. It's just the opposite. Boaz uses the law to bless Ruth, uses the law as a vehicle to show her love and kindness and extravagance. And last week we saw how Ruth was the blessing to Naomi. But isn't it fun now to see how Ruth is now being blessed? Because this is what God is like he does not just use you as a blessing. He will bless you too. And that blessing will likely lead to more blessing. There's a lot of blessing in God. In fact, nobody is without blessing in the family of God. Nobody. If you come to him, you will find that he blesses you. That's what he does. <laughs> and, and look how much Ruth actually gathers in this chapter, in verse 17, it says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So an ephah, guys, is about 34 kilograms. That is so much for her to have gathered in one day. I mean, one, 
literally, how did she carry all of that back to Naomi? Have you ever tried to carry those like 10 kilogram bags of rice to your car? Like I struggle with that. How is she carrying 34 kilograms back to her? To put it into perspective, if I bought 34 kilograms of flour, that would be enough for me to bake 68 loaves of bread. 68. They probably wouldn't be that good because bread isn't what I'm good at, but I could make 68 of them. <laughs> and this is just for Ruth and Naomi, just for two women from one day of work. It's too, it's too much. They don't need this much. And actually, I'm sure as Ruth was carrying it back, she would have been thinking like, this is perhaps actually a bit more than I needed. Could have done with a bit less so I could get it back to Naomi. Um, but this is what God does. It's what he's like when he provides. He provides an abundance. And do you remember last week how the thing that brought Naomi back to Bethlehem was that she heard of the provision of God. She heard, I think it says specifically, that, they, that God had provided them with food and a good harvest. But look at this verse. Look how it says that her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Naomi is no longer just hearing of God's good provision. She is now seeing it. These are no longer stories from a land that she's not living in. This is provision for her that she gets to see and experience. And God wants the same for us. He doesn't just want us to hear nice stories of his provision and blessing. He wants us to see and experience his provision and blessing. And here's a crazy thing to think about. God is more excited to give good things to you than you are about receiving them. God wants to give blessings to you more than you want to be blessed. That absolutely blows my mind. What a crazy God. Um, I'm actually nearly finished, Rob, do you want to? Um, and we see this same extravagant provision revealed when we see Jesus come. He acted in just the same way, shockingly, as the God revealed in the law. Do you remember that story of where he was calling Peter and Peter was out fishing all night and he was um, not getting anything. Jesus is standing at the side of the shore watching him and then tells him to put his net over the other side of the boat. And Peter, after a bit of kerfuffling, does it. It's <laughs> not a word. Um, and the net gets flooded with fish. It is too many fish. The nets are breaking. If I was Peter there, similar to Ruth, I would maybe want just enough fish so that my nets are not breaking. But Jesus' provision here for Peter is extravagant and abundant and too much. He is always generous. And again, remember that story where Jesus had 5,000 people in front of him 
only one of whom had food. And Jesus used that to feed all of them. And again, he didn't just give them enough that they all had a bit. He gave them enough that all 5,000 were satisfied and there was more left over. He actually made, he literally made too much. No one wanted the last 12 baskets, but they were there because just as we think that God is done blessing us, he says, I've got more and I've got more and I've got more and I've got more. This is a God who blesses abundantly and extravagantly. And it's so fun to, that we're starting to see Naomi being filled by this God who blesses. Um, but here's the thing is, although we can expect to see good provision and abundant blessing where we are of uh, food and shelter and other good gifts God wants to give us, the best thing that he has to offer you is himself. He is the best thing. And so he gives himself to us extravagantly, daily. He gives himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He gives himself to us in the Holy Spirit living in us and with us. It says in 1 John, that which we have um, and heard, talking about Jesus, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see how this that we are seeing and hearing of the goodness of God through the law and through Jesus was always intended to bring us to himself. The law is intended to bring us to the lawmaker and Jesus is intended to draw us right into who he is. And John here is saying that we, we get to proclaim what we have seen and heard so that we can, or John is proclaiming what he has seen and heard so that we can have friendship with him. We can expect good things from him, but the most abundant thing that he could give you is friendship with himself, the covenant God, the extravagant provider, the kindest companion. We get to know him, to laugh with him, and to chat with him, and cry with him, and do our days with him. We get to have him as our counselor and leader. And as the one who really understands us and gets us, we get to be friends with him. He is the great giver. And he has given you himself.